the current cost to reforest 300 million acres is over 100 billion, which is about 10 aircraft carriers. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, just bear in mind that it's taken the U.S. decades to get up to the 10 to 12 aircraft carriers that we have. Everybody else in the world has one to two aircraft carriers. They're expensive and complex. So like that is not an insignificant number. Welcome Getting There fans. I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. Since the 1990s, 300 million acres of trees have been deforested, cleared away. That amount of acreage is equivalent to the size of Peru. How do we increase reforestation, replanting, and mitigate the negative effects of deforestation? On today's show, we have Grant Cannery, founder and CEO of DroneSeed, along with his chief technology officer, Ben Riley. DroneSeed uses drones to plant native trees and vegetation in post-fire environments. It's pretty cool. In this episode, Grant, Ben, and I discuss the scalability of reforestation and the mitigation of climate change as he answers a number of questions such as, how did drone seed begin? How are drones helping reforest vast areas? What does the future of reforestation look like? Why is this technology so crucial today? And how does it impact all of us? And much more. So join us in our conversation. Let's do this. What does success mean to you? And we can go with Grant on this and then Ben. Yeah, success for me, it's uh, making the biggest possible dent in carbon emissions that we can. And that's the mission of our, of our company is make reforestation scalable. It's everything that I've ever done in my business career. It's been U.S. Green Building Council, Vestas Wind Energy, Earth Advantage Home Rating Systems, uh, selling green electrical plans for homeowners. Like that's always what I've been focused on. And, and there's, a, there's some very deep-seated meaning behind like why that is. But for us as a company, uh, what does it look like? It looks like we're scaled up to the point where we're 10xing what's reforested every year because trees are the most efficient way to sequester carbon. So that's 100xing, putting it in the hands of third parties, making the biggest possible dent in canon carbon emissions. Thank you. And Ben, what su does success mean to you? You can't copy what Grant said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. Um, I, my, mine, I guess, is just more broad. Uh, this century is kind of looking kind of dark. Success for me would mean making it better for every person, not just the wealthy or the powerful, and definitely uh, having a, a significant impact on climate change is a huge multiplying effect on doing that. Yeah, yeah. I am super excited to be able to go into what Drone Seed is doing and learn about the process and how it all works. This is something that we do for our fans, which is we put up a couple of multiple choice questions and then I'd love for you guys to answer them. So here we go. The first question is, what is the number one cause for deforestation? And deforestation, I'll clarify, is clearing a wide area of trees. So what is the number one cause for deforestation? We have A, agriculture, B, logging, and logging is using trees for paper products. C, housing, clearing land for cities. So what is the number one cause for deforestation? A, agriculture, B, logging, or C, housing? What do you guys think? 100% agriculture. Okay, agriculture. According to NASA's Earth Observatory, the single biggest direct cause of tropical deforestation is conversion of cropland to pasture, mostly from subsistence, which is growing crops or raising livestock. So number two, 
Since the 1990s, how many acres have been deforested? And this is worldwide. We have A, 100 million, B, 200 million, C, 300 million, D, 400 million. A, B, C, D. What do you think? Yeah, it's C, it's 300 million. It's hard to comprehend yeah. 300 million acres. It says that that's the size of Peru, 300 million acres. I'll just say just for entrepreneurs that are out there, this statistic is, is literally one of the, the first ones that was a guiding principle for me in determining market size. And so I was very much going through like a lean startup process, identifying, okay, what's the market size? What experts can I talk to that I have this idea of, we want to go this direction, et cetera looking at that and saying, how would we reforest that with current methods today? And an average tree planter can do about two acres a day. And Warehouser, the biggest company in the world for forestry, they replant about a million acres a year. So it would take them 300 years given their best tools today. Wow. So if we need to, in a serious way, sequester carbon rapidly, massively, what would we have to do? And I just looked at that number and was like, there's no way we can catch up as far as what we need to be able to accomplish with our current tools. So that was something to me that's been a guiding North Star. And just to, to put a price on that too, the, the current cost to reforest 100 million acres, sorry, 300 million acres is, is over 100 billion, which is about 10 aircraft carriers. Wow. Yeah, and, and uh, just bear in mind that it's taken the US decades to get up to the 10 to 12 aircraft carriers that we have. Uh, everybody else in the world has one to two aircraft carriers. They're expensive and complex, so that is not an insignificant number. What does Drone Seed do, and what problem are you solving? We get paid per acre as a service to plant tree seeds and then spray to protect them. And we do that for timber companies, for nonprofits like the Nature Conservancy, uh, and then also for the government sector. So Bureau of Land Management, uh, U.S. Forest Service, any government entity that has uh, large land. And then our top use case for utilizing drone swarms is post-wildfire because there's huge supply chain bottlenecks in the current methods and being able to do wide acres of remediation is really important. Because of climate change, the amount of wildfire has increased significantly over the past couple of decades. So it was like 2.6 million acres per year was a 10-year rolling average in, back in the early 80s to the 90s. And then today, it's upwards of 7 million. When you have low severity fires, it kind of just goes through and it's not burning all the way down into those couple inches of topsoil. And that, those are fires that are, that are healthy and useful. Um, and the, but the like super high severity fires are the ones where like that's just destroying the ability for natural regeneration. Can you give us some background history for everyone that's listening on the forest industry? What is the mm -hmm. forest industry? Who are the main players? Why are they cutting trees and what do they do to replenish them? And if you can share a bit on that, that'd be great. Yeah, to put a like a little bit of a, a summary on it. I mean, mm -hmm. forestry is a backbone resource in, of building materials. Historically, it's been of energy an energy source, and then it's also a source of water and air filtration. So trees shade soil and help with water water retention in the soil. So really important for farmers and cities is that you have watersheds that are not only purifying by absorbing nutrients and things like that, but they're also shading soil to increase that water retention. 
innovation. And so that's like the watershed that enables a lot of cities and a lot of farmers to be able to, to produce and exist. Mm. So that's like the importance of trees. A lot of the timber companies out there utilizing those trees for either one of two or three things. You've got your sort of disposable consumer products, which are like tissues, toilet paper, things that are very useful paper, utilitarian. But then you've also got all of the building materials that go into a lot of North American housing. So what does Drone Seed offer? You've mentioned all these different players that you're working with, right? Whether it's the government, mm -hmm. the timber companies. What is it that you do? And let's just take one example, for instance, like a, a timber company. Yeah. Here's an example. Here's a tribal entity. Tribes, they utilize timber sales to fund education locally. It's a really important source of income for them. And in fact, a lot of tribes in Maine and Alaska have become certified as cap and trade participants in the California market. And we're not talking like this is a small amount of money. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars going in offset projects. And so it's a strong source of income for what allows them to maintain their forests in a sustainable way. They do do some timber sales. So so they have a huge fire, 300,000 acres plus. Now all of a sudden they have this huge problem because that high severity that we're talking about, natural regeneration, which is what we've relied on for a really long period of time, but just ah, the forest will take care of itself, it'll come back. Invasive species move in. And so what we're able to do is we're able to get in there and plant immediately after a large wildfire to help restore forests by providing the biological material, the seeds, in a seed vessel that it boosts the seed survival. So it has fertilizers, nutrients, it helps absorb moisture. So Grant, you mentioned that you come in and you plant these seeds as fast as possible, covering a vast area as quickly as you can. And now Ben, can you share with us how they are planted? So, uh, so initially we go out there and we do uh, a high resolution survey of the area. And here we're looking for, we, we do this with LIDAR and multispectral data, and we're looking for locations where particular species will be especially effective or not effective in, in certain climates, aspects. And LIDAR, uh, LIDAR is light radar? Is that what it stands yeah, for? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's a small ultraviolet, typically, lasers that collect more than 600,000 points per second. And so we get a, we can show you some pictures, a really, really detailed map of the whole area, which tells us things like where there are sheltering objects, things like down trees, which are extremely useful for, for certain species that protect them from overexposure and things like that. Mm. Once we have that data, we can generate plans offline that specifically have aircraft, multiple aircraft at the same time, kind of go and plant in, in specific locations based on uh, how good the soil is or a, a huge number of other ecosystems. And what was the other technology you mentioned? It was LiDAR oh, and... Uh, Multispectral cameras. So this is your normal RBG cameras, you know, the kind we're using right now to communicate in addition to things like uh, near-infrared, which is uh, extremely effective for determining plant health. Also, there's some bare soil characteristics you can pick out from that. And the LiDAR and the cameras, are, are these mounted on a drone that does a visual of the area? Yep, that's right. That first survey process we do for large areas, and then we come back and we generate plans. These are preliminary plans. We also do some planning in the field as well because systems change, circumstances change. But for the most part, we can do uh, kind of offline planning in the office and then go out there with a number of large unmanned aircraft that can carry up to 57 pounds worth these kind of feed vessels. 
We have about, we have three or four people that we tend to be servicing the drones. And then the aircraft, we can have, according to the FAA, up to five. Uh, we tend to use three at a time, but it all depends on the circumstances. I should be very clear about how difficult this terrain is. We're talking slopes that are just kind of ridiculous and yeah, obstacles. All 90 places. degree, 80 terrible. degree. Yeah, for hand planting, for people just wandering around with seedlings, Grant can talk about the injury rate and the kind of, the kind of effort that it takes to do this. And you mentioned that the drones then are human-operated drones. Oh, well, okay, so they're human operators, but for the most part, they're, they're working. We upload plants and they just kind of fly them. Unless something weird happens, there's an obstacle we didn't catch in the initial survey. They just kind of run themselves and then come back and land and they just keep going. It doesn't really require much human intervention. Oh, wow. We're, we're right at the same place as uh, autonomous vehicles where we have the uh, the safety driver that can take control of the wheel, so to speak. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're pre-programmed. You mentioned you, you've received uh, the federal aviation approval, the FAA for your drones. Like, what are the repercussions of the FAA approving this? For not just drone safety, oh, but technology. Man, the, the economic repercussions are huge because you can't have a drone bigger than 55 pounds. What happens is, is our whole aircraft, we, are, we carry a 57-pound payload. So just our payload is two pounds over the FAA's limit. So our whole aircraft is 115 pounds. And not only that, we're flying it in swarms up to five. All right. So our first approval was for 15 under 55 pounds. And then our second approval was for five over 55 pounds. And what that means is for each flight that you go up in the air, you come back down and there's a swap time. And it's just like NASCAR. If your swap time is like crazy long, um, you're spending four to six hours a day on the ground not doing things. So the smaller the payload, the more swap times you have to have. We can carry as much. I mean, like it, it's the difference between carrying enough to serve like an eighth of an acre versus a single flight serving a full acre per aircraft. So that could be as much as five acres per like every 15 minutes or something. So the bigger the payload, the longer the flight time. What has it been able to accomplish so far? We've really won the trust of a lot of customers. Foresters are the most cost conscious because you put $100 into that acre, you're not getting it back for 30 years. And so you compare that to the S&P 500 rate of return and like you better be making a lot of money off of that 100 acres, right? Or $100 right. that you put in. So adopting new technologies that may have benefits, they're slow adoption. We've won their trust. Uh, we work with three of the five largest timber companies and Hancock, which is uh, one of the largest timber companies in the United States, their parent company, Manulife, recently posted on the web about our work with them. We've surveyed a thousand plus acres and then serviced uh, in nine jobs in 2018 and then more jobs in 2019. So we're starting to now expand with those same customers into completely other continents as well as got opportunities in New Zealand and Chile and a number of other yeah. places. And so, um, for Matthew, yeah, it's so kind of like one of the biggest things that we've accomplished. What do you envision for drone seed 10 years from now? What, what would be ideal and how could that help make a positive impact for reforestation? The most successful companies that have scaled rapidly have done so by putting the technology in the hands of third parties, right? You look at Uber, Lyft, Google Maps, and then you compare that to Boeing. Boeing like built itself up over like 50 years and we don't really have that luxury. If 
we want to mitigate the worst effects of climate change before 2040. Anybody who's listening to this that have kids, like their kids are coming into an awful situation. Like we personally today are coming into an awful situation. If we're looking at 2040 impacts, that's within the time frame of most people's student mortgage or student debt or, or their house mortgage, <laughs> right. right? Like your house, if it's in a flood zone, like you are significantly at risk and that's within the scope of your mortgage. Will technology, as it improves, does that mean costs will drop for your clients? You know, what, what does that look like five, 10 years from now? Or what, what do you so, yeah. believe it could look like? Right. So if you have the kind of terrain and the kind of situation where you can use as many drones as possible, you're going to get a lot more done over the course of that time. Improvements in technology associated with the longevity, like the payload capacity of the aircraft all have a huge impact. It's critical to both have the technology there and it's user-friendly, but also have the training and, and the qualified people. Um, we've been training people for a good two years in some cases to do this kind of work, and it's paid enormous dividends. Training is one of the most, and cross-training has been one of, one of the biggest gains that we've seen in addition to uh, improvements in radios to allow more aircraft and things like that. Obviously, aircraft size, weatherproofing. It's important to note also the difficulty of accessibility for some of these areas. It's actually kind of difficult. Roads wash out. Fires can obviously have a substantial impact. So every one of those barriers are things that are surmountable, and they're the kinds of things that we're going to want to tackle in the future. What does it mean for automation and for jobs within the industry? What's your thought on that? Contractors in the U.S. utilize largely migrant labor. In some cases, there's some that are not migrant labor. Uh, those are very few and far between these days. And the migrant labor, they very much, very specifically figure out like, oh, my, my body is literally running two marathons a day in calorie burn. I can do this for maybe one, two years and the money's good. Or I can do this less labor intensive job on my body and I can support my family for 20 years. Whether that's working in another agricultural sector, strawberries, or, and then, you know, pick your, your other, you know, option, right? Well, there are alternatives. And most, there's a 70% churn on this. And so the contractors are consistently trying to get like over, like to, to recruit more labor, recruit more labor. And the number of contract, the, the amount of labor has just gone down, the ability to source that labor. So our foresters, I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's really what you see. I mean, Canada, it's college labor. It's college workers because their planting season falls directly in the summer. But that job, we're just absolutely breaking people to plant trees. And people do it as Ironman training. You're basically mountaineering with uh, 40 pounds of seedlings strapped to your hip and then slamming a shovel into the ground at microsites. And you're functioning as a low-level AI saying like, oh, great, this is next to a log. Oh, great, this is soil I can plant here. This is gravel I can't plant here. And you're doing that on some cases a 40 to 60 degree slope where tractors or anything like that couldn't get there. And if they could, they're stumps. Uh, I was going to say that this is almost certainly not a case where you're going to see a whole lot of labor displacement. The enormous scale of what we need to do, the massive reversal of the trend of losing forests is such that uh, every single person that would otherwise be interested in planting trees manually, we should be employing to do it in an automated fashion. There's just so much work to get right. done in a relatively short amount of time, frankly. I think this is a particular instance where there's just so much work and we have such a huge backlog and we still need a lot of people, regardless of how many drones we can throw up in the air. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you like to share, mention at this point? We just applied for the 100 and Change grant, which is a MacArthur $100 million for an entity to make an impact on the world. Why we do what we do and why it matters is, is from my perspective, climate change is the problem that all the problems report to. Not because 
the other problems aren't important. Pick any problem that a smart person could work on, whether it's malnutrition or education or assault weapons or anything. None of those problems get any additional time on the clock to have better solutions if we don't mitigate climate change. None of the social, economic, political uh, systems that we have in place will continue to, to stand strong, if not completely outright fail, uh, if we don't mitigate the worst effects of climate change. And mitigate's the right word, like we're past the point where we can avoid it, we are in it. And so I guess that's really like what I would say to folks thinking about starting a business is like, go out and do it, find that cause, find that mission, hopefully it's climate change, because I would strongly advocate we absolutely have to mitigate that problem sooner rather than later. Pick any problem that a smart person could work on, whether it's malnutrition or education or assault weapons or anything. None of those problems get any additional time on the clock to have better solutions if we don't mitigate climate change. None of the social, economic, political systems that we have in place will continue to, to stand strong, if not completely outright fail. We don't mitigate the worst effects of climate change. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day, and as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.